0: Thank you for listening to the Girls Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit girlswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that.
1: Oh, Welcome to the Girls Who Do Stuff podcast. I am Jenny Midgley. I am Sarah Madras. And this is a show where you come as you are with the courage to speak up and tell a better story. And today's episode, we have a lovely lady named Karen Sammer, and she's going to tell us all about her advocacy work and, and why she got into the advocacy that she does. But I'm really excited to have her here and to highlight this super duper important women's issue.
2: So when I read it on Calendly, I was like, did Jenny do this on purpose? But They're all intentional. I was like, is she trying to freak me out and get me to go to the doctor sooner? What is happening here? Do you here? not go to the doctor every year? For my thyroid, not for my heart. But that's part of your physical. No, I don't get a physical. Are you fucking kidding me? I go to my thyroid doctor and try to hey, You need to go to a, get a, so, a complete physical. Everybody, are you listening? Are you hearing the shaming? She is shaming me <laughs> for not, I just turned 40, okay? Just turned. Fully wait, a, wait, t- uh,
1: but that means that you didn't go last year. And you didn't go the year before. I've then. never gone. I always get a physical. We're going to talk about the importance. I of didn't I didn't realize us was supposed physical. to be doing that. Yes, I'm going to cry at the quarter. I don't. I'm not trying to shame you. It's more out of concern for your health and well-being. Okay, well
2: being. Okay, let's go. Come on. Introduction, <laughs> <laughs> guys. I'll sit here and cry. Oh,
1: I met, don't cry. I met Karen <laughs> through the organization Believe, Inspire, Grow, which is a international uh, women's empowerment and networking and secondary kind of <laughs> group at which I'm the co-leader for the uh, Southeast <laughs> region here. Yep. Yeah, oh, That's good to say. Of course you are. Of course I am. I know. Liz Rosselli wore me down. Liz, I know you're going to listen to this. So, <laughs> and I'm really happy to be a part of it, to meet
0: some really amazing women like Karen. So Karen, tell us about yourself. Thank you so much for saying that about me. My name is Karen Sammer, and I have a business called Your Power, Your Health, Nutrition and Health Coaching. And I primarily work with women who live with or are at risk for developing chronic illness like heart disease or diabetes or obesity, cancer, anything that can be managed through lifestyle and nutrition changes. But I'm also a Women Heart Champion community educator. And so that's where I go into the community and I talk about women and our unique challenges around heart health. Like what the symptoms are, what our risk factors are, what to do to prevent heart disease, because 80% of heart disease is preventable through lifestyle nutrition. Surprise. And also how to advocate for yourself if you find yourself in the medical system and you're not taking you seriously. Because sometimes if you show up in the ER having a cardiac event and you don't get a profile of someone they expect to be having a cardiac event, you may be sent home medicated for something. Like anxiety or stress or something like that. And often, much to your detriment, they you go home and die from that event because it doesn't always register right away when they start doing the testing. And so, if they don't keep you around long enough and you don't fit the profile and they are not really looking for that, you may be misdiagnosed or completely undiagnosed. It's really a serious problem. Yeah, there was a whole episode on Grey's Anatomy.
2: Exactly that. They tried That's to trigger. So well, yes. <laughs> Much to my dismay, just let it, it die did, already. Let it like, all off, like the whole hospital explode, and I'll be relieved that it's over. But well, why do you still watch it? Because oh,
1: that's another conversation for another episode. Karen, tell us about how, why, and how you got into the um, community education
0: for women's heart health. So I myself, I had a heart attack. I so I started this journey back when I had breast cancer back in 2009, and I completely changed my own life. And lost 135 pounds and took on health and wellness for myself, and then decided I wanted to help other people with it. But then in 2017, I had a heart attack, and fortunately, I did fit a profile because I was old enough. They did take me seriously, and they took me in. and What they found with me, though, is that I didn't have my arteries weren't clogged. And they were. It's an anomaly that's in my body that causes heart attack. It's very rare. I. Became friends with my cardiologist, became friendly with my cardiologist, and she thought I would be a good candidate to become a women heart champion. So she sent me to the Mayo Clinic to be trained to go in. And I had could have taken one of two paths. I could have become a support group facilitator, which really isn't my bag, or I could become a a community educator. So I decided I wanted to go out and community educate. So I I go out and I talk about this to anybody who will listen. I'm always uh, looking for uh, opportunities to do a presentation on women in heart health because it's really quite startling. Some of the information that I bring forth, a lot of people don't know it. What's, and it's uh, important to know.
2: What's one thing that you think women must know? Like it's, if I got off this show and I
0: didn't share this, I'd be kicking myself. What's the thing they have to know? That heart disease kills more women than all forms of cancer combined. And one in three women will be affected by heart disease in her lifetime and one in four will die from it. Wow. 25% of women will die from heart disease. So mm-hmm. that's pretty astounding. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is preventable, as I said. But our, we are as at high risk, especially now, as our society has changed and women are in the workforce and so we become very, we have very stressful jobs outside of the home. And then we come home and we have another full-time job very often because we have families to take care of. Our risk for heart disease has really increased over time. And so we are as at risk as men are. And the older we get and the less estrogen we have in our bodies to protect us, as we become menopausal, perimenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal, then our risk even increases more. So it's really important to know the symptoms that we have, the risk factors that we might be subjected to. When you're feeling something in your body that you're not quite sure what it is, it's very often, or not very often, I shouldn't say that, it very possibly could be a cardiac event and it looks like something else.
2: For you, what did it take us back to the to your experience and walk us
0: through that of what it looked like for you? So I was sitting in a Toastmasters meeting, fortunately, in my local hospital. It was in the auditorium of my local hospital. That's very that. <laughs> about serendipity. Yeah. No, it was actually, it was very timely for me. So I, was, I sat down after giving a little two-minute uh, table topic, it's called if you're familiar with uh, yep. Toastmasters. So. I did my table topic, I sat down and I started to feel this burning in the middle of my chest that I just thought I might have pulled a muscle because I ran up the stairs and I might have, you know, done something, whatever. And But I felt this burning and I tried to squirm it out. It wasn't going away and it started to radiate to the tops of my arms. And once that started happening, I knew that there might be something going on. So I asked the person across the aisle for me to walk out with me because if there was something and I ended up passing out right. in the hallway, I didn't right. want to die on the, correct. the top correct. So he took me to, the, to a hospital employee, they took me over to the ER, and at the ER, they hooked hook me up to an EKG, and I was in the middle of a heart attack. So then they took me to the cath lab, and that's when they found out that I had a spontaneous coronary artery dissection. And that is where one of the arteries in the heart dissects or splits, splits, the layers split apart, and the innermost layer came down, formed a blockage, and that's what caused my heart attack. But I didn't, I, my arteries were not full of plaque as one might expect for someone my age, and it, it wasn't, it, that's not what caused it, it was this SCAD is what this event is called. Right. And it very often, th- this is an event or this particular phenomenon, it happens to a lot of young women and it's not, and a lot of doctors don't know about it or are not familiar with it, what it looks like. So a young woman can show up in the ER with this happening and it can be fatal. Well, Fortunately for me, it was not. It was a small part of a small artery in my art in my heart, so it wasn't a major event because some people have it in the widowmaker. Mm-hmm. Or, yes, my dad you know, had LED.
1: He had ninety seven percent blockage and ninety six percent blockage between the two, like the branch mm-hmm. where it was. But yeah, that's what. Yeah, and the a cardiologist came out from the cath from the procedure and was like, "I don't think he understands like the gravity of the situation." And we were like, "Nope, he doesn't. It's okay." Because apparently he was asking him all the questions about, do I have to take a blood thinner every day? Can I take it every other day? Is there anything homeopathic that I can do instead? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because if y'all listen to the parents episode, you'll understand that's very on brand for David.
2: So question (laughs) for you when it comes to the signs and symptoms and stuff. I remember when I was in college, very high stress was putting myself through school and working and trying to keep up with the full is bananas. It was a very stressful time. And I thought I was having a heart attack. Like, I was like, something is very wrong. I went and they hooked me up and they just said it was a panic attack. And so how, what is the difference so that people can know?
0: So very often something like an anxiety attack or a panic attack will mimic uh, a cardiac event. So if you are somebody who gets those severe symptoms, absolutely err on the side of caution and go to the hospital because you never know if the next time is actually a cardiac event. So never feel like you should be embarrassed if you show up in the hospital and it turns out to be something other than what you think it is. Mm-hmm. And, and don't allow anybody to diminish you for coming into the hospital with those symptoms. Don't allow anybody to be dismissive because you don't know. You don't know and they don't know until they do the tests on you. So the, often the difference is indistinguishable if you have those, uh, those symptoms. And you don't know, especially if they're very severe, because some people get that crushing feeling on their chest when they have those types of uh, events in their life. So never, ever try to brush it off, unless it's something that, if it doesn't go away, let's just say that if it happens for a minute and it goes away and everything's fine, then you're probably okay. But if it doesn't go away or if it persists or it, it changes, it gets worse, it moves, whatever, always go and get it checked out never dismiss something like that that's what we do a lot
1: yeah and i I think yes we are yeah we totally just and and as women especially we dismiss it we're like and men are guilty of this too so we don't want to single totally uh, we don't want to leave them out of this conversation but right now we're talking about women's heart health but like i and also like you have to pay attention to things like what does your body do when you're dehydrated what does it do when you've had too much caffeine what does it do when you're experiencing high levels of emotional stress? What does it do when it's experiencing situational stress, like things like school and juggling all the the calendars and and all those things, and paying attention to how your body responds to that? Because there was a period of time when I thought I was having like ongoing panic attacks, and I was dehydrated mm-hmm. because my body was responding with a rapid heart rate. Mm-hmm. And my my doctor was like, "No, that's not- <laughs> I appreciate that you think you're anxious, but you're not." right which was nice mm-hmm. for once but but i think that it's really important like the takeaway is learn the signs and that your body gives you and pay attention so that you can find the patterns and you're helping the providers because what happens is you're helping your health providers because they're not in your body and they can only do so much and it's based on what you tell them so if you track what happens and you understand what it, maybe it's hormone related maybe it's there's other things that can impact how your body's reacting. And then it helps them, it's called differential diagnosis. So they're it's helping them go through the weeds and figure out what it is that's really happening having a heart attack because you can say, I'm not dehydrated, I'm not anxious, I haven't had too much caffeine, I'm not, I'm not in a in the midst of a, a ovulation cycle, I'm not hormonal, whatever it is. So can you test for these other things that it could be?
0: But very often a woman will be dismissed yeah. as being hormonal or being. Emotional or mm-hmm. being something dramatic, only um, really. dramatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to to be. If, and if the doctor that you're being seen by is not taking you seriously, ask for another doc. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. I didn't know that there was training that they send you to at the Mayo Clinic. I had no idea that even existed. Can you speak more on that, please?
0: The people of this organization, Women Heart, all of us are volunteers, and we are all. They ha- We had some sort of a cardiac thing happen. We're some sort of, or some sort of heart issue. And many of the people that I went, I uh, was trained with, it's amazing that they're still on this planet. And they were women that were sent, went to the ER multiple times and sent home saying, there's nothing wrong with you. And by the time they're actually seen, their, their hearts are practically in shred. So the fact that they're still here, it just speaks to the resilience. But you have to be chosen. You have to be asked to go. You're sponsored usually by a hospital. Not always, but usually by a hospital. Mm-hmm. And so I was sponsored by not the one that I had the heart attack in, but another, the hospital that I actually use for my cardiac care. And and so this we had this intense symposium that we went to, and we learned how to go out and talk to people about just bring awareness and bring education to the general public about what's going on in women's bodies and what's going on in the medical system around women and heart health. And it's gotten better, but everything used to be based on the male body. And we're not just men with uteruses. We have much different physiology than men do. Right. You're a lot.
2: But I never thought of it that way. What she's saying is like hitting home for me because right I was like men with uteruses. I love but it. But I didn't even put that together either that the radical right. they only were studying male. I mm-hmm. didn't put that together until she just said it.
1: Mm-hmm. That's where the word hysterical, like I'm I'm sitting in my privilege where I can be like, I don't want to use certain words because the word hysterical comes from the uterus. So it's all about the hysterectomy is removal of the uterus. And. Every any time that a woman was emotional, mm-hmm. right? That hadn't that she expressed an emotion, she was deemed to be hysterical because it was coming from her uterus and that was what was different than the man. Like it's bananas, right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to kill this like, I thought. Right. And then like don't even get me started on the other things, like the other reasons that they said women were hysterical that has to do with orgasm. Like it's the- it is literally like they would stimulate the clitoris in these in these doctors' evaluations, and then say, "Oh, she's hysterical." Like went, they got her. Exactly. Oh my god, I can't write down. I can't. Like this was medicine in the eighteen. I can't. It's in my. Day. It is. It's bananas, but like this. This is what it's to. Karen's point that's what our healthcare now is based on these antiquated notions about and then don't even get us started on the challenges that persons of color and and marginalized populations face because the same thing I want to go back to what you said Karen because it's super important that our healthcare system here in the US is based on a series of codes and mm-hmm. the ICD10 codes yeah. Yep, and things are supposed to fit in a certain way, and and they're supposed to be able to be nice and neat and textbook and follow it follow a trail for the little insurance companies for the insurance companies so <laughs> you can code for the right things and get get reimbursed for the right rate and that you can say because and then when it's an outlier when something presents different and you don't fit in that box then they say you don't meet the diagnostic criteria for further assessment or whatever and you're like. OK, so we're all sitting here. None of us is actually a textbook, right? Mm-hmm. We're all human. We're made up of organic matter and carbon and cells and just paper. And not ink. just paper and ink that's bound. And and we all are going, everyone is going to be a little bit different, right? Can you imagine if one of us was one of those? There are people that are born with their organs flipped on the opposite yep. side of their body. that d- Nobody knows it until something happens <laughs> and they're being treated as this way. And then it turns out they need to be treated as that way. Like right. it serves to illustrate the challenges, just like the ordinary person might face. If you otherwise would fit in that little textbook, right? What do you do when you have an experience where you don't? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really important. What you said that when you go to the ER, they're expecting you to be one thing. And then when you're not, it screws them. It screws with their heads. It
0: messes up. Yeah. Messes up their metrics. Yeah. Yeah. But also, a lot of times women are left out of the clinical trials because hormonal differences or yeah. hormonal yeah. fluctuations skew the results. Yep. But yep. That, a lot of times that's part of, that is That is very much part of what causes the stuff that they are experiencing, studying. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and the illnesses or the conditions that they are studying are impacted by these hormonal fluctuations very often. This, the thing that happened to me, they have loosely attributed it to hormonal possible hormonal mm-hmm. fluctuations in younger women. I wasn't, that wasn't my story, but, but it, the women that have it, very often it, it follows, it's a postpartum. Sometimes it's a postpartum event. Sometimes it's a um, post-traumatic event, something as uh, an emotional event. Sometimes it's just post-exercise or just post-sitting, watching television. You don't know. You don't know what's like, right. could be anything. But, but, so they left women out of, of, this, of the trials and our bodies are smaller. Our organs are smaller. Trials on medications they, they dose that like men uh, for medication. They make the medical devices based on the male body. Their center of gravity is different. Their musculature is different. Their fat content is different. It, it, there's a whole different science around male bodies versus female bodies. And so they've gotten better. They've started to bring in women of all ages. When they first started the, the heart work, they would bring in older women, postmenopausal women. Because they more resembled men, mm. because they didn't have the hormonal function. Oh
1: Sarah's yeah. mind is literally blowing. All right, Sarah, Wait, there's
0: no words. Go ahead. I'm so sorry, Karen. I'm to wrap my brain. But that's the thing. That to me, this is the kind of reaction I get anytime I bring this information out. They need to incorporate people of all body types and all ages and all both sexes, and they just need to be they need to be all inclusive when they do these studies. And they're getting better with it. Uh, well, it's been a lot. Of, so
2: I love what you said of it's the science. It's not the science like, oh, let's study the science of the human body. No, they're so vastly different that we have to study the science of the male body, the study of the female body. Of the, and so instead of being like. And then the younger male body, and the younger female exactly. body, and the postmenopausal
1: specialization. and uh, right, everything. Yeah. And everything I think is becoming more and more highly specialized as. As evidenced by there are, I just did the headshots for that organization that does the certifications. For it's based in Raleigh, actually, that certifies all of the cardiologists and anesthesiologists to do like echos and different EKGs and all of those things. And I was like, I went on their website and I went down a rabbit hole, and I was like, for 15 minutes, I was looking at all the different certifications they and and exams they they administer to these physicians. And I was like, that's super cool because. Mm-hmm. You want to see a physician that's that's certified in all these things. And those specializations are becoming more and more relevant, not just for doctors, but for nurses and for other practitioners and things like that. But what would that specialization be, though? Karen,
2: what do I need to be Googling of what that specialization is?
0: You need to find yourself a good cardiologist who's up on the up on the science because the science is always changing. Mm -hmm. And I personally, I would recommend a female cardiologist Mm -hmm. because. She, first of all, has the same equipment as you do and, you know, is much more likely to be more in tune with what's going on in your physiology than a man is. Mm -hmm. They may know the science, but she knows what it feels like to be in a female body. Mm -hmm. And so that's important. But also when they get so specialized and so niched and so pinpoint expert. They don't look at the rest of the stuff, I think. I feel like there needs to be somebody who puts the whole package together, a more holistic approach. And we don't have a lot of that anymore. What if it was like that show back in the day? Sorry to keep bringing up shows, but that's like, how we, that's our love language. Yeah.
2: That show, Private Practice, oh, yeah. where they all were together and comprehensive and they all, but they all, their own specialties, but they all talked and communicated and they worked on the cases together. And that makes the most sense to me. So you can have your niche and be like, I'm, that's my jam. I'm super smart in that. But... You're still always communicating with the people in the other specialties on that same case. Not just, oh, this case is tough. Mm-hmm. I'll reach out to a colleague. You're all from day one involved in that case. Mm-hmm.
1: That's called a team conference. From day one when everybody's involved. Yeah, they do have some practices that are like that. And right. it's it's a hospital basis. It's like a hospital based model that right. you have the team, right. all the specialties that contribute to the right discussion
2: does that only happen though once you're like yes it,
1: that that's the key it doesn't happen on the outpatient side like prior to your event or injury it then happens that you have a treatment team after the fact so it's not preventative it's, preventative. it's that's it, I mean yeah. it's treatment and it can't be and it's not always curative
2: so Karen can I give you a, a scenario and you help advise of walking
0: through tips and tricks as long as it's not a medical i can't speak to specific medical situations right. but yeah i'll i'll do what i can we'll play around with well, it well it's a hypothetical what we, yeah, if we'll play around with it and see how this goes and please speak to your
1: physician before taking any advice from us correct <laughs> absolutely
2: so let's just say that uh family history is such that on both sides heart disease triple bypasses a, a, a and then and somebody says to you okay you are young and but because this runs so heavily in both sides and because there the on the other side on the maternal side there was a sudden death and un, undetected heart cardiac or what hypertension or whatever and they're like you need to get a stress test and ekg and you need to monitor what your blood pressure is to make sure are are you hypertensive da, 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 da. so in that scenario what would be
0: what, how would one navigate that from the beginning? So I don't think it's a bad idea to have a baseline measure of what's going on in your body. You may not have any symptoms now if you're young and healthy and don't have any necessarily outwardly showing symptoms. I would definitely get a baseline just to see where you are, to start where you're at your healthy level. And then you monitor that over a period of time, whatever your doctor suggests. I don't know, once a year, once every five years, whatever it is. But if that is your family history, first of all, you don't have to be a slave to your your genes. It certainly precludes or it it predisposes you to a higher risk of developing these particular conditions. But a lot of that you can manage through your own lifestyle choices Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and your own nutrition choices and exercise and stress management. All of these things go a really long way to making you healthy enough that you will never have to Face those situations, mm-hmm. but I think monitoring is a really good idea because a lot, like they call blood pressure, high blood pressure, the silent killer. Mm-hmm. You don't know that you have it until you have a stroke, sometimes. Unless, or unless it's really crazy, it's crazy high, and you have symptoms because of that. But cholesterol is another thing. If you're high, your cholesterol is so high, and your and, and that sticky plaque is blocking your arteries. A lot of times, you have no knowledge of that until you have an event. It doesn't necessarily feel like anything. You may get shortness of breath, but you may attribute it to something else. And
1: so cool. this is why it's important to go to your physician. for. Well, but
2: that's why when she said baseline, I'm like, I don't know what you mean by baseline.
1: That is a baseline. You go to your physician when things are good so that you have what you've created. Well, a baseline. What are they doing? They what do you mean what are they doing?
2: I don't. Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. I legitimately. Do you take your children for
1: well visits? Yes, of course. Because well, why? All they're like, helps me. I'm supposed to right. Take, so I care. Yeah. But my question to that, so then my follow up question to that is, you love your children, and so you want to care for them and yeah. provide them, like, to make sure that they're healthy. Yeah, and but safe. nobody
2: is telling me, Sarah, go for your anu- go. They're telling me go for your annual gyn appointment, so I do that. And then they tell me go for your annual thyroid appointment because that's the only way you'll get your meds. So I do that. But nobody's telling me, go to a doctor and have once a year for them to do. What do they do in a physical?
1: I don't, what are they doing? Are they, they doing, taking they do, blood? They take they, they, are, yeah, they do a complete, they usually do some blood work that checks, you know. So then
2: wouldn't that be what my thyroid does? Boom. I've already done that.
1: No, you're putting yourself in the shape spiral. I have serious, serious questions. Just, I have serious questions. So like, Joey, so you go every year. Listen. This. See, Joe goes for his visit every year and he's a 40-year-old man, which he should. He wants it. And, and anyway. I think my visits would be greatly different from yours.
2: Probably. Right. And like you're, but unlike Karen, like, I don't know what that means. Right. You have to start me like I'm a little child. I, <laughs> I
1: so with the, so you get the baseline functions and scores and things, but it's like when you, that's, they, they take an inventory, right? So they're asking you questions. They're looking for markers, but your primary care doctor should really be acting as like your primary case manager to I, put it in. I go to my primary care doctor when I have a cold and it won't go away with over the counter medication. No, I, yeah, I get that. But I'm saying, but this is where healthcare goes wrong in that people think that they only need to go to the doctor when they're sick. We go for, we take our children for well visits every year until they right. turn 18. Until they turn 18, exactly. <laughs> no, And then it's their responsibility to go to the doctor, but we have to, pa- like, why does it all of a sudden stop when you're 18? It doesn't. You still have to go to the doctor every year for a well check. And it's because your primary care doctor will, in the event of an illness or injury, act as your like primary case management. So that was new information. Okay. I right. didn't know. You were yelling that
2: at after me. After 18, I was supposed to be doing that on my own. So oh, knowledge
0: is power, right? <laughs> there it is <laughs> knowledge the more what else do i need to know but if you go to your primary care very often they can administer those tests for you any kg is very simple have you ever had one yes it's, when i
2: read that when i thought i was having the heart attack and then they said no it's just a panic yeah they just yeah. stick
0: yeah. things on you yes. yeah Turn it's, out it's, the machine. it's a five minute thing but they can run the blood tests or or prescribe the blood test to be run they can, and, and what I would recommend you do is have a conversation with your primary care and say, look, this is what's happened in my family. I have all of this on my mom's side. I have all of this on my dad's side. I'm 40 years old. What do you recommend? And maybe the doctor will recommend that you wait until you're 45 or if you're feeling no symptoms, maybe they'll have you do a baseline like I suggested. If it were me, I would probably ask for them for the baseline. Right. And the baseline would be, an EKG, uh, you just d- make sure your blood, they typically will test your blood or check your blood pressure when you're there anyway. If they do a, a blood draw, they're going to do- ask you for fasting blood so that they can do cholesterol. Right. So make sure that when you have a blood test, blood glucose. it's fasting. Yeah, and it- it'll give you, and-, and blood glucose. Yes, that's another thing. That's for your blood sugar. Your A1C. So your a- A1C is your blood sugar over time. this all down. Uh You could listen to the episode, too. I'm like,
2: everybody push pause on the episode. Run and get your pencil and your
1: paper. (laughs) I'm really glad that Sarah's saying, I don't know all these things. And she's being vulnerable in this space because this is what I mean, I was in hospitals for 20 years working with patients on all these things. So, of course, I was like, I would feel something weird in my leg and I'd go ask the doctor, do you think I have MS? And she's no, Jenny, I don't think you have MS. (laughs) I think that if this, these are the markers that would tell you, like, I think you maybe are needing to address your ergonomics at your desk. Don't jump. That's the problem. Or you slept wrong on it the night before. Right. Like like you don't, right. Or like you wake up and your arm's asleep, you're not having a stroke necessarily. But there's a a direct link between hypertension, diabetes and the cardiac disease. So it's really important to make sure that you're monitoring yourself for the blood sugar as well as
0: the hypertension. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, especially if diabetes is in your family, but your endocrinologist can take care of that. Mm-hmm, okay, it can monitor your blood sugar and your A1C, your mm-hmm. your blood glucose and your A1C, okay. because they're taking blood to check your metabolic correct panel, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's I don't think it's out of the line for you to ask your doctor for a baseline evaluation based on your family history,
2: just so you know where you are. I was like, how'd you, Karen? Uh, it's totally hypothetical.
1: (laughs) Okay. And then I don't don't know your family history. How important (laughs) is it to make sure that you go get a baseline? That's true. Because that's something that I don't know. I know it was on the papers, but I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't have anybody to go to and be like, is this accurate? So I just make sure that, yeah, there's some, I'm totally uh, guilty of the working in healthcare and ignoring all the things. Like to a point. Healthcare workers are the worst ones. Oh, we are the right. I I used to work with a nurse practitioner that she'd be like, and they're going to have to, like, create some nursing home for all of us just to go to with that is staffed with 100 percent nurse ratchets because they're not going to get anything from us. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm, (laughs) that is true. We're going to be the worst elderly people ever. (laughs) It's true. And I think it's there's two parts of it, though. And I think this is what we deal with on the regular. People don't go to the doctor because they're afraid of what they're going to hear. And they're afraid they're going to be challenged to change their lifestyle and change is hard. And we get that. And the other side of it is people who are willing to hear that and just aren't afraid to go to the doctor every year. And it is and it's one thing I do want to say to Sarah's point, like she's going and getting her women's health visit every year. Your GYN may be doing some of the other things that a a yearly physical would do with a, a primary care physician. So it's it's good that you do go to a doctor at least once a year. I do. We do want to validate
0: that for you. Thank you. I you're welcome. appreciate that. You're welcome. I
1: could see your stuff feeling like a little bit shunt. But, but it is, it's important to recognize if you're somebody who fears going to the doctor, like, cool, there's thousands and millions of people who are there with you. It's better to head something off before it starts and work on preventive care and wellness rather than sick care.
2: hmm Yeah. So Karen, last question before we get to rapid fire. Is there, do you have a memory of an experience with either somebody that you met through the work that you do the training, but their story and that story just stuck out for you that you would want to share?
0: Oh, yeah, I have lots of them. But one woman in particular, I met at my women heart training. And she is a she's a an African-American woman. She's actually Haitian American and but very dark skinned. Mm-hmm. She is a nurse. I think at the time when this happened, she was a nurse practitioner. Now I believe she's got her doctorate in nursing. So definitely knows the medical system. Yep. yep. She was pregnant with twins. And at the very end of her pregnancy, she was gaining weight like crazy. It's like gaining pounds a, pounds a day. And she kept saying there's something wrong. She was getting weaker and she was just feeling really very big and weak. And so... She kept saying, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong. And they said, oh, no, you're fine. You're having twins. That's normal, that type of thing. By the time they finally diagnosed her or figured out what was going on with her, she was in her ejection fraction, which is her heart's ability to pump out, Mm -hmm. was not compatible with life. Oh, wow. And then it's like a miracle that she was. It's it's an absolute miracle. She was talking to them in their language, their lingo, their medical lingo. They knew she was a medical professional. So she was not just some person who was having a being spastic about having a baby right or babies she was talking to them with about the symptoms in the language that they recognize and they understand and they would not take her seriously and so she ended up surviving and she's she she's one of my heart sisters one of my women heart sisters yeah and and then she goes out and talks to uh, you know her her audience is primarily women of color because that is a particularly vulnerable population Mm -hmm. that is a group of people who are even more marginalized than Caucasian women are. Caucasian women can be marginalized in the hospital system, but women of color, African-American, Hispanic, Native American, anybody who's got a little bit of melanin in their skin uh, uh-huh. is very often even further diminished in the, in the medical system. But her story is one of triumph. She's fine now. Her boys are, uh, I think they just went into college. Oh, that's and, amazing. Yeah, yeah. And she's very proud of them, as she, she absolutely should be. But but she is a powerful woman and I just really admire her because she was able to come through this triumphantly and, but this is the kind of treatment. She was a medical professional and they treated Mm -hmm. her like that.
1: Yeah. Where does she live? She lives in New Jersey. It's shocking to me because, again, I can speak to the other side of that where they kept bringing me back for more, you know, white girl. And I kept saying, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. Why do you keep making me come back to the doctor? And it turns out that I was not fine. But <laughs> I kept Pretty saying I getting, feel bad for. I ke- I, right. Exactly. And I was being cared for to the point that, like, with with Nicholas, my PA stayed late. And waited for me to call back Mm -hmm. to the office so that she could get me admitted to the hospital. The difference in care given and received based on the color of skin is scary. And then you hear stories from like women like Serena Williams that they experience the same thing that other persons of color experience. And you're like, are you serious? Because I would have expected that Serena would have gotten better care than me, but it didn't happen. And that's again, that's crazy. It's like your mind was being blown before. That's the kind of shit that blows my mind. And I'm like, I can't. Yep. Yeah. And it's and even now I still get checked up on because they want to make sure that I'm not um, going into any type of hypertensive crisis, which like I have low blood pressure, which is funny that I was the one with preeclampsia and two pregnant two pregnancy. Right. (laughs) Oops. My body was not made to hold babies.
2: I make cute babies, though. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I do. Who are rays of sunshine. They
0: are rays of sunshine. Anyway,
2: I was. Uh, uh, we digress. So, Karen, how can our listeners
0: connect with you? They can connect with me by emailing me uh, at karen at com, or going to my website and connect, and connect with me there, www.yourpoweryourhealth.com.
1: Love it. Thank you. Connect with us at stuff.com, Subscribe to our email list for fun announcements and leave us a review. It helps other people find our stuff. We would be
2: so grateful to you for taking those actions so we can get this out into the world and change more lives. I am Jenny Midgley. I am Sarah Madras. And, and you do you, you, boo.
0: We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing to this podcast and follow us on social media.